Amen. Thank you, Ms. Christian. Melissa. You grab your Bibles, turn with me at Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews chapter number 13 is where we'll find ourselves for this morning's sermon. Hebrews chapter number 13, again, delighted that you are here this morning. Glad you made it out, and uh, we're excited about t- this morning's message. Tonight, we have one of our missionaries, missionary Gabriel Ivan and his family will be with us. They're missionaries in Micronesia. It's been several years, maybe close to eight since they've been here, and so uh, something like that. Nonetheless, we're excited about hearing about their ministry tonight, so I hope you'll come back and join us. He'll be preaching this evening. There's much in here that, uh, among us that are differences, if we could put it that way. There's much that, uh, that we don't have in common, if we could put it that way, you know, whether it be vocation, whether it be uh, history or whatever the case may be, maybe even personalities and things like that. There, uh, there's some things we just don't have in common, but there are a few things that we do have in common, and one of them uh, is the reality that if anything that these last two years have proven to us is this, we live in an ever-changing world. We live in a rapidly changing world. In fact, uh, the, that was quite the understatement after the last few years that we have experienced as people and something we all have in common in many ways. I, it doesn't cease to surprise me or amaze me that if you were to take a short perusal of news articles or news segments, uh, however it may be, the reality is it, it often and they often uh, speak of our ever-changing world, our rapidly changing world. In fact, if you did a Google search of rapidly changing world, you would find more articles than you have time to read. It's all-consuming in a sense. It affects everybody. It's something we all have in common that we're all having to face. This is sadly, as I've called it from the pulpit before, this is the new normal we all face. A constant state of change. And boy, for those of us who are set in our ways, that's hard, Amen. For those of us who don't like change, that's difficult, is that we're in a constant state of upheaval and change. Many of us would like it to be more consistent. Many of us would like to go back to a more reliable way of life where nothing changes, nothing surprises us, and uh, each day different. Uh, We'd love to return to that, but it's not to be had. Every week we, we have to go through a rigmarole. Is that restaurant open? Is that store open? Uh, can I even get in to see my doctor? Can I even get into the ER? Will that event actually take place that I want to go to? Or will it be canceled? Since when did bacon cost that much? And gasoline, raising the prices right before your eyes. And when the cashier tells you how much you owe, you'll want to say, I don't want to buy the whole store, I just want the groceries. Constant change, man. Uh, you go into a store one, th- one day, the price for something is this, and the next day it's gone up. And constant change we face all the time. Well, Paul is writing this book, the book of Hebrews. And my friend, could I just give you a little encouragement this morning? The believers who read his letter in that century faced much the same thing. They were in a very changing world, rapidly changing. You see, Christ had come, but he had also gone back to heaven. He had ascended back to heaven. The, the Roman Empire was in flux, had, had seen the glory days, and now uh, it was going through difficulties. And so uh, things were happening there. The, the new church was facing enhanced and increased persecution. Uh, they were being martyred. They were being chased and persecuted for their beliefs in Christ like they'd never seen before. 
Add to that that there are great new theological threats, if we could put it that way. Legalism, Judaism, uh, uh, even false prophets rising up and, and trying to affect the church. With every new political leader, every new emperor, every new day, there seemed to be something changing. As Paul closes this great book, and boy, Hebrews is a wonderful book. I am uh, anticipating the day that we get into it on a Wednesday night and study through the book of Hebrews. But it is a book of great theological, doctrinal wealth, and uh, it's packed full. But as he comes to the end of this book, here in Hebrews chapter 13, he gives us many words of advice. We'll get to the main one in a moment that deals with this ever-changing world, but let's get the context. Because in the midst of this, even as Brother Ron Ruby spoke about in a few Wednesdays ago, there's many of these lettuce passages where uh, it says, let us, let us, and so forth in this, among many other things, that gives us great advice for the Christian life and experience. And so this is the context in which Paul inserts a little comment about this ever-changing world. And a challenge and encouragement for you and I all the same. Look in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 13, if you will, with me. Let's read, get the context. He, He makes several pithy statements here. He says this, number one, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and and them which suffer adversity as, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the, rule, the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. We jump down to verse 9. Be not carried about with divers or different in strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Okay, this is great counsel. I love this passage. It is so instructive and so exhorting to you and I as believers. Let's consider just for a moment several of these statements. The first one is this. He he makes the statement, and I turn on my clicker here. He makes the statement of let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. So he's telling us employ brotherly love. Don't let it cease. Love one another with that brotherly love that Christ demonstrated to the 12 and certainly has demonstrated to you and I but also those other disciples that he interacted with regularly. Heed his call to love one another as he loved. Remember, Paul's closing out this letter. He's saying, okay, as you go out in the world, this ever-changing world, as you're going in, in new frontier, in a sense, as the church, love one another. Continue. Let it continue, that brotherly love. Number two, what does he say? He says this, and I like this one. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Be kind and hospitable to strangers. Why? Because you just never know when you might entertain an angel unawares. Man, that'll make you think twice when you, treat, uh, when you come in contact and interact with a stranger, won't it? I mean, this is God's work. God, the Holy Spirit, has led Paul to write this uh, to Christians of every age. He said, listen, be careful of how you treat strangers. 
I don't know about you, but there's been some time in my life that I, I just looked at somebody, a stranger I came across, and maybe they needed something, maybe they knocked on my door or whatever, and I, I remember looking at them, and, and inside of me, I just wanted to say, are you an angel? Have you ever been there where you just wanted to ask, oh man, I have a feeling about this, it just may be, and boy, you just wanted to ask, are you an angel? The Bible says, be careful, you might un- entertain them unaware." So be careful. I, I find it interesting that Paul gives us this little nugget of advice and so forth. Verse number three, what does he say? He says, remember those that are persecuted and suffer for the sake of Christ, for their faith. Don't forget those who suffer. And boy, in our day and age, I think this rings truer than maybe in their day and age. Pretty much all of them suffered persecution in one way or another, it seemed. In our day, you and I might live in a country seemingly more open or at least tolerant of faith in Christ. But I'll tell you, friend, there are people around the world that are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the passage says, hey, remember them, uh, suffer with them in prayer, and, and, and don't let them fall by the wayside. And I love this statement here. Why? Because he says this, you suffer with them. How do we suffer with them? Because if you're a believer, we're all part of the body of Christ. And when the body hurts, I... The other day, just well, Friday night maybe, I was working at the house there and using a hammer, and that's always a dangerous thing. And, man, I cold-cocked my, hand, my thumb. I smashed it like a terrible non-carpenter that I am. And I'll tell you, I felt that, and it stopped the rest of my body from doing what the rest of my body wanted to do because that thumb hurt. That's a little bit of what Christ is saying. When the body of Christ suffers, we all suffer. And so we are to remember, as it says here, remember those who suffer that are in bonds and we are bound as being bound with them. Why? Because they are also in the body. It's a great picture that he gives us. Then verse number four, hey, great reminder, young people, great truth. Marriage is honorable. Marriage is honorable. Uh, Talking to Brother Jerry uh, Hubble this week and here in about a month or so, him and Miss Pearl will celebrate their 61st wedding anniversary. That's exciting, isn't it? Hey, marriage is honorable. Many in our own church family here are having many, many marriage anniversaries. Praise the Lord for that. It's honorable. I love it. It's instituted by God, Paul says. That's a good thing. And I, I, maybe in that day there was some tendency like there is in our day. Marriage, why get married? No, 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 no. Marriage is honorable. And then he goes on, the marriage bed undefiled, God's plan for, uh, for relations, sexual relations, so things are there within marriage. But then he makes a, a, a very important statement. Adultery and immorality are not honorable. God will be the one who stands in judge of that. And he says, beware. He's even talking to Christians. Christians, beware. Adultery and immorality. God will stand in judgment of that marriage. That's, that's undefiled. The marriage bed. Marriage is honorable. But these things, God will stand in judgment of. So beware. Let it not be named among you. This is what Paul would also say other places. And then verses 5 and 6, he has an interesting uh, perspective, if we could pay, uh, say. Notice what he says. He, he starts out and he basically says, leave off covetousness and jealousy, that desiring and lusting after what, uh, after what you don't have. But rather, you be content. You be content with what you have. Now, here's the interesting thing, because you and I immediately say, okay, i got to be content with the car I drive. i got to be content with the, the house that I live in. I've got to be content with this terrible job. I've got to be content. No, no, no. That's not at all what God's Word is saying. Yes, you have those things. Yes. But do you see what the context of the verse says that we are to be content with? 
We are to be content with what? Well, just the one and only God of heaven that will never leave you nor forsake you. All of those things are ancillary things. All of those things I just mentioned are the unimportant uh, parts of life. You know what's important? You know why you don't have to be jealous? You don't have to be covetous of other people and whatever they might have and the life that they live? You know why you can't be content, Christian? Because you have the God of heaven as your father. That's what you have. Be content with such things as you have. And this is it. This is who you have and what you have. Boy, how can you not be content with God and that truth? He is our helper, the next verse says, right? That picture, one who comes alongside and he's there in our darkest moments, our most difficult situations. And what's the teaching of that verse? Well, if he is my helper in those situations, my friend, I not only can be content with what we have, but I can also be content in the midst of what I face. Because he's my helper. That doesn't matter what Monday holds, what Tuesday holds, what this week, what that conversation, what that interaction, what this week at work and my home situation. It doesn't matter what that holds. God is my helper. I could put it this way. The fact is, if I lose it all, God is my helper still. If I suffer great pain, God is my helper still. If I am persecuted and treated terribly by my fellow humans, as Paul even alludes to in this verse, he is still my helper. My friend, this is the source of a Christian's all-encompassing life contentment. I've said it before, and I think sometimes we, we fail to remind ourselves of this. There ought to be no more group of content people than God's church. Young people, did you hear me? So easy for you and I to base our contentment on the material things I have, whether my day goes well, whether uh, things that I dream of, my expectations come to fulfillment. Contentment is not found in that. Contentment is found in the reality that God is my helper. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Therefore, I don't need to be covetous of anything. I, I, I don't need to be jealous of anything. I can be content in every area of my life. May I just challenge you here this morning, as Paul does, there's an area in your life in which you are not content. The reality is you've forgotten one of three truths that Paul bears out in this passage. You've forgotten one of these three things. The first is this, okay? God will never leave you. What does that mean? Simply this, you will never fall into a position where God isn't. You will never fall into a place where God isn't there. Aren't you thankful for that? I think of Christians around the world who are thrown in prison. Can I tell you? God's there with them. He'll never leave you. Some of you have gone into a uh, doctor's office where you heard uh, terrible news. Can I tell you? God's there with you. Some of you have gotten some terrible news when you were at home, whatever the case may be. God did not leave you. There is not a place that you can fall where God isn't there where he cannot provide, and as he has promised, do the best for you. Number two, God will not leave you, but number two, God will never forsake you. He'll, he'll, what does that mean? Just You can never fall too far or do too much to cause God to turn his back on you. Hey, you can never fall too much or go too far where God will turn his back on you. Now listen, we probably all have experienced human beings that have turned their backs on us betrayed us whatever the case may be we did some of the disappointment and they kind of wrote us off my friend there's a god in heaven who will never do that to you 
He'll never forsake you. And my friend, that ought to encourage you and I to be content today. No matter what man may do unto us, as Paul wrote here, no matter what happens, no matter how others treat us, the reality is I have a God in heaven who will never leave me. He will never forsake me. His back will never be turned upon me. And then last but not least, he says what? Maybe you've forgotten because you lack contentment. You've forgotten that God is your helper. God is your helper. You can never find yourself in a position where he cannot help you. You will never find yourself in a place where he cannot help you. And to that I say, amen. So we can be content. We can face anything. Boy, with a helper like that, why would we ever go it alone? It's a great encouragement to a people who are living in a constantly changing world in which we don't know what tomorrow holds, but I can still be content because of my God. Then he adds in verse number seven, again, we're just, this is introduction, this is amazing. Okay, well, uh, uh, just introduction points, we're hitting context. Number, verse number seven, he says this, remember to honor and follow those that God has established as spiritual leaders in your life. Treat them with respect and honor, he says. Emulate their faith as they strive to live out the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit thought it significant enough that he leads Paul to repeat the exhortation in the same chapter at the end of this letter in verse number 17. And to that he said, add obedience. So respect, honor, obey those that have the rule over you. Paul was concerned that in the church there would be some independency in the sense of resisting authority. So the Holy Spirit led him to put these in. And then last but not least, verse number 9, here's what he wrote. Keep the doctrine. The teachings of Jesus Christ near and dear. Uh, he gives a, a great warning. Protect it. Don't forget it. Don't neglect it. Don't allow someone else to further corrupt them or to corrupt them. Uh, be, beware, as he puts it here. Be not carried away with divers or different and strange doctrines. Protect the truth. Yeah, furthermore, and I love this aspect of this verse. Did you catch it? He says, your heart. Your heart must be established. The very center of your thoughts and emotions and feelings and knowledge, it must be established on the teachings of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Don't let it be informed and established on anything else but the grace that is found in the teachings of Jesus Christ. He gives us a little, uh, a little analogy here. Uh, we've heard it said that you need to eat physical food to maintain your physical strength well paul in a sense says that's overrated the reality most important thing is you need to digest and cling to the doctrine of jesus christ to maintain your spiritual strength so don't carry carried away and and i think of it in the physical world right some of our teenagers some of our children would would, would love to live on junk food amen they'd love to live on the the stuff that's no good for you that's almost what Paul's saying. Listen, don't be carried away. Don't every time you open the cabinet and get on the internet and, and, and you're trying to look for some spiritual encouragement, don't get in strange and different doctrines, things that don't hold true to God's word. Go to the meat of God's word. Build up your spiritual strength by feasting on that. Be guarded against being carried away. I find that amazing. These are great truths. And, and frankly, that, those are messages unto themselves. But I find it interesting right here smack dab at the, well, not in the middle, but kind of there right in the middle of all these or right in the flow of these, we find verse number eight. Kind of doesn't fit when you first read it. He says simply this. 
Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You'll notice, and maybe you already have, maybe you haven't, the banners here. The banners in the back, we sang it just a moment ago. If you would like to call it our theme for the year, you can certainly do, do so. I think it's more of a thought that I believe God wants you and I to dwell on throughout this year. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It seems somewhat misplaced, though. In the midst of these closing remarks and exhortation, he, he, he couldn't help, and I think this is why it's there. There's several reasons, and I'll give them to you, and we'll be done. The first is this. Paul brings us back to the one, uh, brings our minds back to the one in whom our faith rests. See, if you were to read, if we had time this morning, and that would be wonderful to read through the entire book of Hebrews, we, we'd find out that Jesus Christ is one of the focal points of this book. Paul is describing him much, and he brings us back to the one who our faith rests in. He'd already spent much of this book talking about Christ, his position, his ministry, his work on our behalf, his fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, his role as Messiah, as Savior, Redeemer, High Priest, his role as the Lamb of God. Just the chapter before, chapter 12 and verse 2, I, you remember what he says? Look at unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I like that statement because throughout this book, Paul is saying, look, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look who he is. Look at what he's done. Look what he's doing now. Look what his ministry is. Look at what he has gone through for you. Paul's look, 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 look. And I think here in Chapter 13, we are much, uh, it is appropriate to use much the same verbiage. We can see that he is telling us to look to Jesus. And what is he saying? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The message is clear and do not miss it this morning. He has not changed. He does not change. He will not change. Jesus Christ is the same. Theological terms, we, we put a, t- a little word on there. We call it the immutability of Jesus Christ. The fact that he doesn't change his, his unchangeableness, an attribute that we only ascribe to deity. We are literally describing who he is, that Jesus Christ, that God, because Jesus Christ is God, is the same, always the same, his character, the very essence of who he is. The God of heaven does not change. The Jesus Christ that Paul trusted in, that he spoke of so many years ago, and I believe this to be written 80, 60 to 80, 70. The reality is, my friend, the Jesus Christ that Paul wrote about a thousand years ago is still the same. Still the same. That ought to serve us as great encouragement. Why is it here among this exhortation instruction of the Christian life? Let me give you two other ideas of why I think it is. Number one is this. Everyone needs an unchanging Savior God in an ever-changing world. Everyone needs an unchanging Savior God in the midst of a changing world, an ever-changing world. We know what Paul's doing here. Paul, as we like, we studied Romans and other of his letters. He gets to the end of his letters like Paul, like I have so much to say and I have so little room left on the scroll or whatever he was writing on. 
And so he just throws a bunch at you. And I think that's what he does here. He's building up the Christian. And so my last few words for you as you head off into this changing world. Here's the things that he's exhorting. He's encouraging. And as they face a rapidly changing world, Holy Spirit leads him to remind them that when all else changes, your Savior God does not. And my, my encouragement to you today is that tomorrow we'll all go different places. You need to take that with you wherever you go. Your Savior God does not change. All that He is, as the author and finisher of your faith, all that He has promised to be, even in this moment, ministering to you and I. You see, as you and I glance through the pages of the Scripture, we see a, a Savior presented to us. And it is that Savior who does not change. You see, the Christ who in Scriptures repeatedly comfort the one who lost a loved one, is still the same. The Christ who set captives free is still the same. The Christ who healed the brokenhearted is still the same. The Christ who looked upon the multitudes with compassion is still the same. The Christ who loved His disciples even when they forsook Him is still the same. The Christ who looked at those who crucified him and forgave them and loved them still is still the same. It means today, tomorrow, this week, when you and I sin and when both Christ and I know that that sin caused him to have to go to the cross and suffer, that that sin was the penalty for which he paid, he bled and died, can I tell you Jesus Christ still loves me? He still forgives me when I ask. And He still restores me. My friend, this morning when all else in my life is changing constantly, I can cling to the fact that Jesus Christ changes not. My Savior is just as He's always been. And that's a great comfort for tomorrow that contains what I know not. It's comfort here in a life that can change drastically instantly. Let's make it even more practical. Let's make it even more real for you and I. You know what he's saying? Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is the same before and after when you hear you've lost your job. Jesus Christ is the same when your bank account is full and then it's empty because of an unforeseen bill or an expense. Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus Christ that walks out of the doctor's office with you after you hear devastating news is the same Jesus Christ that walked into that office with you. Because you are one of His. So the question is begged, and certainly what Paul is addressing is this. How do we, how do we navigate an ever-changing world in this life? We face it with the unchanging Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Pastor, I don't know what this week holds. I, I have this appointment. I have this situation. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know how this is going to play out. I understand. We're all living in an ever-changing world. But my friend, you can run. You can cry to a never-changing Savior. My friend, I'll tell you this morning, someone here today needs to hear that. You need to open up your ears and your heart to the truth. Not only hear it, take it with you. You're going to need the truth this week when life changes, when it throws you a curveball, when you need to spiritually rest in the fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You need to take it with you. 
I'm no prophet. I, I don't know what your day even holds, let alone your week and your year. But I do know that you can go with the never-changing Jesus Christ. He'll be with you every step of the way. And as Paul said in the midst of this, and they're thinking, Paul, man, this world is changing. Persecution is growing. The Roman Empire is in flux. Paul, the church is under attack inwardly and outwardly. Paul, what are we going to do? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look to Him. And I also think that in the midst of this, as contextually as He's given instruction and exhortation in this closing, I also believe the Holy Spirit would have you and I to take this beyond just spiritual comfort and strength. Oh, I, I do believe that as you and I go out tomorrow and we go in this week, we, we ought to be spiritually encouraged, spiritually comforted, strengthened by just remembering Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's my Savior. He's my friend. and sticketh closer than a brother. Yes, be comforted, be strengthened. But also, there's a challenge, an exhortation for our living here. Secondly, I would say this. Number two, every believer, here's what this verse is helping us to understand. Every believer should emulate our unchanging Savior. Okay, so number one, everyone needs an unchanging Savior God in an ever-changing world, yes. Number two, it's also telling us that every believer, we as Christians, should emulate our unchanging Savior. We go back to Paul's use of looking to Christ, and now we're encouraged to look at him, to emulate him, to follow his example. And can we put it this way? Here, here's the reason why. Does the world need a never-changing Savior God? Yes! But you know what else the world needs? The world also needs a consistent Christian. That's an unchanging light of this world. Yes, they need a Savior that doesn't change. In a rapidly changing world, the world needs to hear of Jesus Christ and that He does not change. My friend, one of the ways that they'll hear of that unchanging Savior is to see Christians who do not change when the wind blows. That do not falter in the face of persecution. That do not change their beliefs and their living and actions just because life changes, something happens, something occurs. No, no, no. They do not change. They are like their Savior. Elsewhere in Scriptures, you remember what we're encouraged to do? Be ye steadfast, unmovable. We are challenged that you and I should stay the course in Scriptures. We are challenged to remain true, to hold fast our faith. We are challenged time and time again. So it begs this question, in what ways must we as Christians be unchanging? As I think of Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, what are some ways that I must be unchanging? Number one, don't let your faith waver. In James chapter 1 and verse 6, we're introduced to this idea of someone who has faith, but it wavers. Don't be that person, the Scripture says. Hold fast your faith in God. Do not let your faith change. Be adjusted. Uh, be uh, manipulated, corrupted in one way or the other. Be steadfast in holding to your faith and living out that faith. Though the world changes, the God in which your faith is placed does not change. So don't let your faith in Him change. Remain, remain steadfast. Rock hard. Anchored in the only anchor for life, Jesus Christ. So don't let your faith waver. Number two, don't let go of the truth of God's Word. This kind of goes into verse number nine, doesn't it? 
that heart established. It's anchored in the truth of God's word. Don't change your doctrine that is rooted and anchored in the word of God. Don't get sidetracked by false teachers and emotionalism. Don't get sidetracked by the spirit of antichrist that is even operating in these days greatly at work. You see, the world needs Christians and churches who possess the pure doctrine found in God's word and who both live it and spread it. So friend, don't let go of the truth of God's word. Let us see, and I think this is probably my favorite. It's easy to do. And so how must we not change? Don't lose your outlook about the outcome. Don't lose your outlook about the outcome. You see, you and I have had the privilege of reading the last chapter. We know how it all ends. It, it might not be tomorrow. It might not be the next day, it might not be next month, it might not be next year, but it will be coming. Don't lose sight of how it all goes and how it all ends. You and I have the privilege of knowing the outcome, but it must inform our outlook today. I can't handle all these changes. Why is the world so messed up? Why is it in such upheaval? Hang on. Hang on, keep on keeping on, because my friend, we know the outcome. So maintain your outlook based on the outcome. Can, can I just encourage you today? Here's some truths when you and I, when we don't lose our outlook about the outcome. Here's some truths. Number one, sin may be a struggle today, but it will not be someday. Be encouraged. Don't lose your outlook about the outcome. Evil and evil men may prosper today, but they will not someday. They will not. Righteousness might be unpopular today, but it will not be someday. Don't lose your outlook of the outcome. This life, young people, this life, might seem like it is all there is, but it will not be someday. Forever is coming. Don't lose your outlook of the outcome. See, Jesus Christ always kept his outlook informed by the known outcome. We must follow that example world needs to see believers who are unchanging in their outlook based upon the known outcome. Last but not least, can I just encourage you on a personal human level? Okay? We see it all around us. We, we see it faltering. We see it failing all around us repeatedly. <coughs> Letter D, don't lose your resolve to keep on keeping on. Don't lose your resolve to keep on keeping on. You know I love that phrase. I say it so very often. It's a personal resolution of mine. It's a personal encouragement of Scripture. I think Paul says it many different ways, many times over. Keep on keeping on. You see, how have we seen the world at large, humanity as a mass, react to a time of unprecedented change? How has the world reacted to this time of unprecedented change? Well, can I say for the most part they've quit. They, they walk away. They throw in the towel. They stop living. They, they, they have great anxiety, great despair. They, they quit living in some ways and, and such. 
You realize that so many people have quit their jobs over the past couple of years that there's actually now a term for it. It's called the great resignation. It's out there. Look at Google it. It's all over the place because so many people have reacted. When things get difficult, when things get tough, most crawl up in a hole. They cover their head with a pillow. They give up. But it takes a more sober turn when you really look at it because the reality is this. For some They take the means of ultimate escape, and that's suicide. Do you realize, and I quote a New York Times article here, the suicide rates in the United States have been rising steadily since 2000. A 35% increase overall. Many age groups. And the rate of increase roughly doubled in the wake of the 2008 financial downturn. See, historically, job losses, evictions, displacements caused by recession tend, and I quote, to lead to an increased number of suicides. And what about the new COVID world now? One doctor observed this, quote, from before to after COVID-19, we're seeing increases in suicidal thinking among adults that are predicted by increases in feeling isolated. Interestingly, recent studies, I haven't had enough to show if it's totally increased or not, but recent studies have shown that suicides increased during the COVID period in young people in several ethnicities, while there was a, across the board, tremendous increase in feelings of fear and anxiety. And the same studies in the past have shown that often leads to increased suicide in the years, even decades after a pandemic. I say all that to say this. The world doesn't know how to correctly respond to change. My question to you is this. Do you? Do you? Believers should. Because you and I have an unchanging Savior God that shows us how. Who challenges you and I to keep on keeping on as he did through a difficult life, through a difficult time, leaving up to dying on the cross for your sins and for mine. He challenges you and I to follow the will of God, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, to daily embrace the resolve, to keep on keeping on in living the Christian life in accordance with God's instruction. My friend, when you and I see verse number 8 of Hebrews chapter 13 that simply says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, may you and I simply be reminded that everyone needs an unchanging Savior God in an ever-changing world. We need Him tomorrow. We need Him today. We need Him for the rest of our lives, and those around us need Him too. Number two, every believer should emulate our unchanging Savior. My God, when I read of you being the same yesterday, today, and forever, may I be that. May I do these things we've talked about. May I not lose my outlook of the outcome. May may I be in your word consistently. May I hold fast that faith, Father. May I not lose my resolve to keep on keeping on. May I not be like the world and throw in the towel and give up on things and, and be consumed with anxiety and worry and fear. Father, may I keep on keeping on. My question to you this morning, how are you doing, friend? How has life in an ever-changing world affected you? Is that a reminder this morning, the Holy Spirit trying to remind you, hey, look to your Savior God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we thank you for your word. I am grateful for the truths that we have seen in this chapter. Father, the, 
manner in which they have spoken to me. And Father, I'm grateful that your Holy Spirit has seen fit to challenge us this morning, to encourage us, to exhort us, as no doubt this letter has done for many years, to your children. So Father, this morning in this place, I pray that you'd work in the heart of every Christian. Lord, we, we've seen many truths this morning from this passage. We, we've hit on many different things. And so, Father, may your Holy Spirit drive home the truth that you have for every heart. May we be open and respond accordingly. Father, I, I pray that at the smallest, at the least, Father, we would be reminded and encouraged that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You'll be reminded in this invitation that there is much to do in response to that truth in our own lives. May we be found faithful in keeping on, having that resolved, maintaining a proper outlook, staying close to your word, holding fast the faith. My Father, would you help us today? May we emulate our unchanging Savior God. Father, you know where each person is. Maybe there's one today that is not content. Father, they have struggled with contentment. And Lord, the reality is they have forgotten what they have in You. Father, they have forgotten that You have promised to never leave them, to never forsake them. Father, You have promised that You will always be their helper. May they confess their failure to trust in that today. And Lord, I pray uh, from this moment forward, may we be a content group of Christians. Lord, however You have spoken today, I pray in this invitation we would respond. May we thank you for your teaching. May we thank you also. May we respond. Father, if there's confession that is needed, if there is sin to be repented of, may we do so. Father, if there is a need to ask for help and strength and applying a truth, I pray we do that today. I pray this invitation will be a time of you working in us and through us. Father, blessing it as only you can. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium. The piano begins to play. Uh, now is our opportunity to react, to respond appropriately. Take the truth of God's Word as it has been taught and apply it personally. Would you do that? Right there at your seat, right here at, a, at an altar. You can come, you can spend some time in prayer. As God has spoken, would you, would you do business with Him? Would you thank Him for His truth? Would you ask Him for strength and wisdom to apply it? Would you commit yourself, resolve to living it out? Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Henry, I, uh, you talk about being a part of the family of God, a child of God. I'm not sure that I know that if I die today, I'm going to heaven. My friend, can I tell you, we exist as a church to share with people the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. That though you are a sinner, Jesus Christ died for you on that cross. As we talked about this morning, he wants to save you. All you have to do is call upon him. My friend, if that's you this morning, you're unsure of where your eternity lies. I I'd encourage you, you quietly slip out. You come to the front. If you're a lady, a lady will take you. If you're a man, a man will take you. They'll show you from God's precious word how you can know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior God. And friend, that heaven is your eternal home. Let's do business with him today. Won't you do it?